Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. That's precisely what we do, Danny. How so, are you? I'm good, man. You know, one thing I did mean to bring up is that sure. Matt has given us some very funny, uh, some funny kind of fade outs and fade ins, like over people talking. <laughs> Have you noticed? I that? did notice that in the last one. Uh, there we had I took it personally. I was the like, interstitial it's only happening music. To me. <laughs> it's like you're getting played off at the yeah, Oscars. Yeah, I think he's playing me off my own podcast. <laughs> It's not your pod anymore, man. <laughs> Dude, I'm getting taken I, out. I did notice that. I'm like, is there an ad coming? I know. I was, that's I was in like, last episode yeah. in uh, Jeff's episode. The right? funny thing will be for him to hear this <laughs> since we haven't talked to him about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, Matt, come on. <laughs> well, on the topic of housekeeping, we do have one thing to clear up. Um, I, uh, I made an error in Christine Sikowski's uh, episode. It was brought to my attention by Chef Juan Kim of Kimsky 2.0. Uh, I said that... Uh, you can't shade with a ballpoint pen. And Danny added that you can't shade with a dry erase marker. Danny was right. I was wrong. Uh, Juan was like, you absolutely can. And then I said, uh, picker, it didn't happen. And then he sent me like some very elaborate graffiti wow. with a ballpoint pen, and it was shaded perfectly. So uh, He's an artist. I, he's an artist. He's yeah. got special skills. He does. So I do want to make that amendment. You can shade with a ballpoint pen. And apparently you can do it very well because he, he killed it. Yeah, record's been cleared. Yeah. Uh, another thing I noticed recently that I think is of note is uh, uh, Josh Tilden, partner at Maxwell's, Erling's partner, was listening to Erling's episode and sent me a screenshot showing that he was listening to the fight. You know, I kind of harass him to make sure he's listening, yeah, to make sure nice he's up on yeah. things. And I noticed in the corner that he was listening to it on 1.25x <laughs> no speed. No way. <laughs> no way. And uh, then... Who does that? Uh, you know, well, I'm actually doing it now, uh, going through or trying to um, at, like compile hidden gem stuff. So oh, when that, I, when oh I you're doing back, it? I'm trying. It was oh, supposed nice. to be your Christmas I, present, but I didn't get it done. <laughs> no, that's sweet. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, I thought about doing it too. That is, I would say that's probably the only... I haven't thought this through, but it seems like one of the few scenarios that that makes sense to go like two yeah. X or three X even. I don't know what, how no, many no, X three X you can't even understand. So like after I saw that on Josh's screen, I, I called him out. I said, you know, what are you doing? 1.25 X. I thought we were friends. <laughs> you just want our voices to sound way higher. And he goes, well, I listen to most podcasts on 1.5. Wow. But I'm doing you guys a solid. So he gave us a quarter you. slower speed. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So then I got curious and I listened <laughs> to my voice and your voice and Erling's voice. Is at it hilarious? Speed. He's doing himself a disservice. <laughs> my beefy baritone oh is not <laughs> palatable at that speed. It's no longer a beefy baritone, just a baritone. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's so funny. But he's also, his experience of all these people's voices from all these podcasts at 1.5 has to be insane. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. know what people sound like. He could meet one of his heroes in real life and have no idea. It's funny. I'm going to Maxwell's tonight for dinner and I'm going to see Josh and he's going to be like, you're not Tim. Yeah. He's like, I know Tim's voice. And yeah. That's definitely you got a much higher it. pitched voice. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. It is pretty funny. Well, anyway, moving on. Yeah. We've got someone a, else who makes us laugh a lot. That's right. This was a fun interview with Ari Bendersky. I'd not seen Ari in a minute. Actually, I ran into him at the Guinness Brewery opening that I uh, invited Danny to go to with me. And he said, no, but so I went, uh, I brought another friend and ran into Ari and Maggie. Always fun to see those guys. Um, Ari, I did. I mean, I've known Ari for years, but not his like uh the breadth of his work yeah i didn't realize that he was a founding editor of the eater of eater chicago right rather. even with a box start false yeah, start that was wild <laughs> pulled him off the bench and put him right back on <laughs> and made him sit there for like a year and a half yeah 
he's just had so many experiences in food and drink going so far back. I mean, yeah. predating my experience in the industry here in Chicago. Um, so it's really cool to hear like those insights and those tales. Yeah. I think, I think Ari's gift is he's an easy hang. He's just an interesting dude. He's always fun to talk to. And I think he's just really good at networking. Yeah. And a little point of clarification. It's his partner. Who's the amazing treasure hunter. Yes, in the Kevin <laughs> Bame episode, we talked about a treasure hunt, and it turns out that Ari uh, can't find his shoes when they're on his feet, so it's Drew who can, who's, who's the sleuth, the internet sleuth and uh, treasure hunter in the oh, relationship. All right, well, anyway, so, yeah. yeah. So without further ado, we hope you enjoy this conversation with Ari Bendersky. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Host Ready to Drink Premium Bottled Cocktails. Choose from Old Fashioned, Martini, and coming soon, a Manhattan. For more information, go to Host, that's H-O-S-T-E, cocktails.com, connect with quality. Oh, and by the way, and by the way, I would not give up my seat on the airplane either. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Now I know. <laughs> All right. So what is Rip and Chicken? So that's really, really funny. So Rip and Chicken. So back when I was editor of Eater Chicago between 2010 and 2012. Founding um, editor. Founding editor. Uh, we allowed comments. This is before the commenting got turned off. And this, I think, was the reason we ended up turning commenting off in the Chicago market. I don't remember if it was a national thing that they did. Yeah, I do remember that it got turned off at some point. Um, so when we would do the Eater Awards, the, we allowed the public to vote on their favorite places and comment on it. So the day that the uh, the best bartender or bar or whatever the category was, uh, went up. And I remember I was in Palm Springs for a friend's wedding and we were staying at our, our friend's house and I start reading the comments and it actually like, so I don't even know that this was just this day, but like rip and chicken, there was somebody who used to post all the time in the comments, rip and chicken. And I'm like, what the fuck is rip and chicken? I had no idea if it was a reference to, it was like Popeye's or, yeah, uh, I thought it was Popeyes, and then it's like a chicken breast, but it's kind of like split. It's almost like a uh, like a blooming onion, but chicken, right? And, and I still to this day don't yeah. even know for sure. So, but <laughs> but I remember that that specific day, like the comments got so vicious and vitriolic, and the and I never realized how, for for as com, uh, as much camaraderie as there is within the restaurant and chef community, I did not realize how much division was within the bar community in the city until that day, because people were throwing so much shit at other people and ripping people down. And this is like ripping chicken was like a big, I don't know if that's when it was birthed or that's just, I don't know. So anyway, so ripping chicken was a, uh, an anonymous commenter that was in comments all the time, but just stirring shit up and instigating. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Is this why Tim's <laughs> pretending not to know what it is? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I was undercover. Yeah. Was it Tim Tierney? Yeah, it could have um, been. so good. Uh, I, I am confirming that it is a Popeye's dish. It's also, there's a recipe for it on uh, poormansgourmetkitchen.com. Hmm. And it looks legit. It's exactly what I said. It's a chicken breast that's kind of split into a bunch of different fingers. But did it come from a chain restaurant, oh, or is it like a traditional... 
yeah. thing. How's that? Much better. Oh, there's the sexy <laughs> yeah. voice. So I guess I should, uh, in full transparency with the listener, I've <laughs> I transitioned into <laughs> a holding of. Microphone. I've started holding my mic <laughs> because with the new setup and sitting at a table this way, it's it's if I'm here, I can't. You know, I I can see yeah. both Danny and sense. our guest. Well, Smart. not only that, but I'll be honest. It's like I mean, I like that I'm sitting up straight and I have good posture at the moment, but like. I'd like to lean back. I'm leaned I'm back. Look how comfortable I am. Yeah, Tim's just teasing. Yeah, I'm lounging. Guys. I might take a nap. I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, just need, you, need like, it. you need like a little like um, a lumbar pillow back here. So Ooh. That would be nice. That yeah. Would... Stand-up comedians. If you hold the mic, that means you're like, you're an experienced com- comedian. Yeah. I took a stand-up comedy class, not because I wanted to, but because I had a very funny friend. You were forced into it? Well, kind of actually. <laughs> yeah, I no, I had a very funny friend who wanted to take the class and he's like, I... <laughs> He's like, I don't want to do it by myself. Will you go with me? I'll pay for you to go. And I was like, okay. So I went and we uh, both chickened out and never did our final sets the last day we didn't show up. Did but you rip uh, I did him? learn a few things. I rip and chickened him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. A, I, had a, I had a quick uh, 50 minute set on rip and chicken. Right on. Uh, but that was what they said. They're like, they're like, don't hold the mic. You're a new stand up. Like, you don't need any distractions. Just stand with the mic stand. Hmm. See, I would feel that like holding the mic would be a position of comfort yeah free you get to like for sure you're like not confined to the one spot you yeah, get to like would move be around the stage and roam trip and over the cord yeah, well, yeah i guess that might yeah maybe, but you uh, could just like fall into the mic stand or something that would be so funny <laughs> right through the eye socket yeah. <laughs> all right and then one last uh manion question off the top here uh what is the strange saga of james toland and the black sheep oh this was this was i think the pinnacle of my eater career so James Toland was a, a mystery chef. He seemingly came out of nowhere. He was working with Philip Foss at, uh, I'm spacing on the name of the restaurant. No, uh, oh. at the, um, why don't you settle down? <laughs> we both were yeah, all over that. I, yeah, I know L ideas. Wrong, yeah. Michelin starred L ideas yeah. in Douglas Park. Um, <laughs> uh, no, at the, um, the Palmer House Hilton the restaurant that was in there and James was like his number two. And uh, when he then announced that he was going to go on his own and open up uh, the Black Sheep, um, I don't even know if he like said what the concept was, but he reached out to all the local food writers and literally everybody and won everyone over, like teasing us, tempting us with this like new concept. And he was like, positioning himself as this rock and roll chef and he was like trained under all these people and he worked in like these like great restaurants and kitchens so he opens up the black sheep in i think this was maybe it was actually pre two uh two the restaurant that was on chicago and or grand and uh ada something like that um which was a fantastic place and uh so he opens up this place. He gets this incredible lineup of chefs. He had um, uh, Sarah uh, Grunberg. No, Irish. Uh, she she was she's Irish. She's now a doctor. She was an incredible pastry chef. She worked with Boca. Um, mm. Oh God, it's driving me nuts. I can totally picture. It's not Lost Bader Miss Bagel. Mm-mm. Nope. Um, <laughs> any, any other pastry Sarah's? I just like that we're just guessing wrong Sarah's for our. But I, I mean, I appreciate it. Keep it coming. You might, we might land on it at some point. I could look it up. Um, oh, it's driving me nuts. Uh, and like, there was just like this great lineup of people who were working there, like right under him. And when it opened, uh, very, very quickly, people realized what 
a shit show it was and that he was all talk, couldn't cook. Um, he just like, like I would start, like it became this like soap opera of a story. Because, <laughs> How did like, you figure out that he couldn't cook and all this other stuff? Because I had either customers emailing me or I got, I would literally get. Oh, because you had promoted it and people were pissed? No, because like people were like, oh my God, there's like this shit. Oh, like, like a, a train wreck show, happening. Right? Yeah. Like, um, Fake it till you make it, man. Yeah. I mean, believe me. And he didn't, <laughs> and it didn't make it because it closed. It opened and closed I remember in three months. Closure. And like. Like I would literally get like messages, like either text messages, like at all hours of the day from people saying, uh, oh, my God, so and so just walked out of the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> half the staff just left, um, like all of this crazy stuff. And then he would go on social media. And I remember one day specifically, he <laughs> he tweeted something like Ari Bandersky hates restaurants. He wants <laughs> he wants independent restaurants to fail. I was like, yes, that is my mo in life. This is like I I write I I'm like I'm like a huge champion of the food scene in Chicago, but yet I want you to fail. It's not oh on you. God. It's not on you at all. Is Black Sheep the perfect name for that? One hundred percent. It was incredible. That's is it so was fun. it Sarah Jordan? Yes. Ah, uh, thank you. Did you just look it up? I did. Yeah. And um, Phil Rubino was there as well. Um, and it was, I mean, it was great people and it had Did such you ever potential. get to experience it in person? I think I went to the opening yeah. party when they were just holding it together. Yeah. With like bubble gum, bubble gum and band-aids and, and wishes, uh, <laughs> hopes and dreams, <laughs> yeah. thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if I ever dined there. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like when it Brandon, seems like Tim and I should feel bad that we never got a chance to experience it. No. I think mm. you're okay. I think what year was did. it? This was early. Uh, probably like 2010 or 11. I mean, it was mm. early, but it was, I mean, it was probably like 2011. Um, but it was literally, I mean, I was getting messages from like chefs, restaurateurs, publicists, um, uh, people like servers, like people, like all these people being like, this is the craziest story I've ever seen. Like, what is going <laughs> on? Like, this is like a soap opera. Keep it going. It and I was like, epic. and it literally, and I remember like the, the final blow uh, my husband Drew and I were in Boston about to leave to go to Provincetown for a week vacation. And Jeffy Mai, who is now the editor of Time Out Chicago, uh, I, it was either Jeffy or Samantha Landy, or maybe them in tandem. tandem. Uh, they were, I think it was Am, actually, and they were waiting for the final blow. We were waiting for one last thing to happen. And Sam texted or called me and she was like, okay, I just got this information. I was like, pull the trigger. And it was like, Black Sheep is closing. I was like, I'm like, I'm going to enjoy my vacation. This has oh been a great gosh. ride. Did Rippin' Chicken chime in? Probably. I'm sure. <laughs> it was probably Rippin' Chicken. We gotta chicken. find out who Rippin' Chicken is. We we'll get to the bottom. Yeah. So wait, would they only comment Rippin' Chicken? Mm-hmm. That was the only thing. It's in like, like the, in all caps. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So if Rippin' Chicken is out there and you're still around, just send a note. Just let us know who you yeah, are. Yeah, we'll I no, really we'll keep know. you anonymous. Come on the pod. Yeah, <laughs> we have Black questions. Your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But speaking of John Mannion, I don't know if you subscribe to um, Maggie Hennessy's yeah, little mean, stories. Mannion style. Uh, it was. I mean, we were actually. I was. It, I was quote unquote one of the friends who was there at dinner that night, and uh, it was great because John actually was. 30 minutes late because he there was crazy traffic coming from El Che to Bouchon. And so like we were already like a cocktail in. We had gotten some appetizers and um, 
our server knew John was coming and knows John very well, obviously. And but it literally uh-huh. the way that it happened, there were tables like the one right behind us had ordered the Manion style, and like when it showed up, <laughs> John had been, John had arrived, and the server was like that's him and like this table over here ordered the manion style and i'm pointing for the listener yeah. to the other side of me they ordered it and so we were like can you please just go around the restaurant and tell everybody speech. that speech right. speech it was pretty great <laughs> all right so we've kind of established that you were the founding editor of eater chicago which is a pretty pretty big deal how did that come to be so in 2008, when Eater was originally going to launch in Chicago, um, I... And it started in New York? It started in New York, and L.A. and San Francisco had been launched. And at this point, it was just cities. Like, there wasn't an Eater National, per se, I don't... Yeah. In 2008. So um, I got tipped from a friend of mine, Pavio Rosati, who was the executive editor of Daily Candy, if you remember Daily Candy from back yeah, in the day. Yeah, I do. Um, and she was like the over overarching executive editor, and she and I had worked together in the past, and she told me they were coming, introduced me to Ben Leventhal, and I met with them in the lobby of the James Hotel. They were just interviewing a bunch of people, and I got the job. So we start, as we would do back then when a new city would launch, we would blog, pre-blog essentially to fill up the archive so when you when it would launch there was a a stable of content on the site so 2008 uh i'm blogging week two weeks they're asking me to continue doing it before we go live what what kind of stuff were you covering i mean just like random openings i mean i was basically like i wasn't making up stories it was real stuff but it was like it was was talking about things that was going on in the city yeah and i would write a post about it and um and i would drive around the city and i would see like a new bakery would be opening or a new butcher shop or whatever it was and so after five weeks four or five weeks of blog pre-blogging I get a call from them and they're like, we're so sorry to do this, but with the economy, the economy was crashing in yeah. 2008. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. like, we can't go live. So you got compensated though. Uh, I got paid for that time. Okay. Um, <laughs> I put a down <laughs> paid, payment on yeah. my house. Yeah, yeah Big bucks. Yeah, yeah. The big money. Um, so fast forward 2010, I got a text from, it's funny, there's the Daily Candy connection. Emily Pfeiffer was editor of Daily Candy Chicago. And she texted me and said, hey, did you hear that Eater Chicago is now launching in Chicago? Uh, did you hear from them? So I, Ben had already left to then go start an NBC property. Um, and I reached out to Locke. And he texted me back. He said, oh, I'm so happy you reached out to me. I wanted to reach out to you, but I thought you were going to tell me to go fuck myself. And I was like, it wasn't personal. Like, <laughs> yeah. guys, it was like financial. So oh, you got to keep this thing going for Ari. Yeah, right. Exactly. So he uh, uh, he said, you know, we've already had other interviews set up with people, but it, just sit tight. He's like, the job's basically yours. So that's what happened. Wow. And then how long was that until you guys launched? And did you do have to, you had to redo a we well did, of did, uh, but I think it was just probably like two weeks. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember it, working like super hard writing, uh, you know, high level of output at that time? It was insane. We at the time were tasked with doing uh, between eight and 12 posts a day. And we were pretty much on our own. Like we worked independently 
after a little while, I was able to hire Jeffy and Samantha and then a few other writers, um, Joe Campagna, Kiki, Kiki Lutheringhausen, and then some other people would come and go. Adasha Townsend wrote for us a lot. Um, and uh, But like the eight to 12 weren't necessarily like full-blown posts. It wasn't like always had to be something that was researched and I would ha wouldn't have to do interviews with everybody every post, but it was like a quick little thing that was like a snippet from another post that somebody else had done. So it was like, but it was coming up with stuff all the time. It was yeah. exhausting. I mean, there's so much content that's put Beyond. out. And especially at that time, it's like also we were competing. That was, you know, I kind of call that the golden age of food media in Chicago, because in addition to all the legacy, you had the Sun-Times, the Tribune, plus you had like Red Eye and read what was this whatever the sun times one was yeah mm. and then reader obviously is still going reader and you know all the broadcast but then you had like all these other um like adasha's site uh, uh 312 dining diva you had like a ton of blogs you had an nbc newsletter so there was a lot of great competition time out chicago um David Tamarkin, when he was editor, we were both gunning for, I reached, I texted him about something and he texted me back. He goes, he's like, seriously, fuck you are. He's like, let me have one scoop. <laughs> Just give me one. Um, and, but yeah, so, I mean, it was like, it was a lot of work. It was a ton of tracking things down, but I, I had friends cause I worked in the industry before. So like I had friends who still worked in restaurants and bars. And so I remember one day my friend texted me and said, um, I just saw David Morton and Michael Cornick looking at, uh, I don't remember what the space was, but it's, it's on Damon. Um, it's south of where the Bristol is on that same side of the street. It's a corner spot. It's yeah, not like uh, the Royal. Red something, Red Door. Whatever it was, <laughs> but it had gone out of business. And so she's like, I just saw them looking at the space. So I texted David Morton like right away because he and I were <laughs> friends. We grew up together. And I was like, I'm like, what are you doing over on Damon? What are you looking at? He's like, where are you? He's like, are you watching me? <laughs> this paparazzi <laughs> like, level journalism. Yeah. But I had great, I had spies all over the place. It was so fun. <laughs> How was that? journalistic gig relative to the others like was the eater job the hardest one no because it was i loved it it was yeah. actually one of my most fun jobs that and the job that i had um i mean i can't believe i'm going to say this on air 25 years ago because we just had our 25th reunion so of, you were 10 at the time i was i was yeah. 10 uh <laughs> of jam tv which was uh my first job out of journalism school and it was a music startup that we eventually became rolling stone so like that was like hmm. It was the the music form of Eater. So it was like a passionate, something I was super passionate about and was like going to shows every night. But Eater was like that same drive that it was like going out to restaurants, being like exploring the city, interacting with people, um, just like being out and about all the time to see what was going on and just uh, just talking to people. And it was fun. Like it wasn't a job. It was, it didn't feel like work. I mean, there were times where I was like, oh my God, this is such a drag. I have to do so much stuff. I'm tired. I just want to go lie down. But it was fun. It was a yeah, great it was invigorating. time. So was yeah. it acquired by Rolling Stone? Or how did that work? So Jam TV, um, so it was based in Chicago and it was a, um, it started, it was a collective between Howard Tolman, who eventually he was, he was a tech entrepreneur in Chicago and he was the president of, uh, what is, what was the, the incubator, uh, in the merchandise mart, um, 1861, 1861. Yeah. Um, so 
so he was a, a huge businessman, entrepreneur. So he and Jerry Michelson, who was one of the founders of Jam Productions, and Pat, oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his last name. Uh, he was the owner of the Vic Theater, and he passed away a number of years ago. Um, so the three of them came together, launched this website, and we were totally scrappy. I was the first, I was the editor of the Daily Music News. I was actually the first editorial hire for the, for the website. But we had this incredible, like deep well of information, photos, videos, music for all of these artists. Um, we would do live webcasts. We had, I mean, our our news became like a top five destination, like competing with like MTV and Sonic, Whoa. which was a huge one at the time. So then Rolling Stone could not figure out how to make the web work because it was Rolling Stone. It was like, you know, yeah. a classic magazine uh, dinosaur. And so they loved what we were doing and we eventually merged with them. So it was a merger. If you can't so, beat them, join them. Yeah. As hmm. the joiners do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And were music and food kind of your main passions growing up? Um, music for sure. Um, food became later. Uh, music, I mean, I was seeing live music starting, I mean, my first concert, I was 11, I think. Uh, it was 1981, and uh, my parents pulled me out of Hebrew school to go see the Rolling Stones tattoo That's, you. Whoa. That's very cool. Um, you know, I mean, in full disclosure, my dad did the, he was in the printing business and he did all the printing for Jovan fragrances like Jovan Musk. Jovan was the title sponsor of the tour. So when it came oh. to Chicago, we all, everybody associated got hooked with up. it got hooked up. And I remember, I have very, very few regrets in my life, but uh, my dad's, uh, his best friend was the president of Jovan and Dick Meyer was like six, 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 seven. He was this like giant of a man. Um, and super stylish, super cool. And we were in their box, the, the Jovan box at the Rosemont Horizon, which is now the Allstate Arena. Mm -hmm. And I remember I'm standing toward the back of the box, like away from the show. And Dick sees me and he was like, Ari, he's like, do you want to go down to the front row? He's like, we have seats down there. He's like, you can sit on my shoulders. And I, it was like, I pulled a Homer Simpson backing up into the bushes. <laughs> yeah, I, was the like, hedges, yeah. I was 11 years. I was so freaked out. But in hindsight, like, I wish I could have said, like, my first concert was the Stones and I sat first row. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's still pretty it's a cool. Good story. It is still anyway. cool. Yeah. And did you grow up here? I did. I grew up in Highland Park. Okay. Um, amongst the other Highland Park food mafia that I'd like to refer to. There's so many people. In Julia the, Kramer was, well, I, mean, I mean, was. Julia Kramer, uh, Mindy Siegel, um, I think Cornick, I could be wrong. Um, David Morton, uh, Josh Kaplan and Mark Newman, who own now uh, Greenwood in Highwood, which I actually just had two nights ago with my family. Mm. Um, I mean, there's so many people. Uh, I used to be able to rattle them off, but there's like a lot of chefs and food. And like, what's cool is in the, like, I guess, 80s, 70s, 80s, I mean, whenever it started, the three big critics, food critics in Chicago were, um, um, oh my God, Sherman Kaplan, who's Josh Kaplan's dad, uh, the Kelsons, who uh, Melina Kelson also, and Josh Kaplan and I grew up together. Melina Kelson and I grew up together. And then Penny Pollock and her daughter, Jackie, we were all in the same high school class. Wow. So they all were from like the three big food critics in Chicago were all Highland Park. So the, the food mafia goes, goes deep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
That's cool. Interesting. And North you Shore. and you went to Northwestern as well. Uh, yeah, eventually I went to Syracuse undergrad. Okay, and then I went to Medill for journalism school. Oh, sweet. Which I don't know how that happened. If I'm being honest, like I just like I kind of coasted through college and I mean I did fine but like I didn't have exceptional grades but the fact that like I applied to five journalism schools and I I, I got into NYU and Northwestern and I was like who did that yeah <laughs> like, who made that happen <laughs> who wrote my who were my references yeah, yeah. guardian angel <laughs> yeah you weren't you didn't cross paths with Terry at Medill did you Alexander no. he's he would have been a few years ahead I guess right but he was there he went to Medill didn't he I can neither confirm nor like deny. one off Terry Alexander. Yeah, yeah, he. Wa- I yeah. mean, we'd have to look look really? it all. Up. You don't remember that from his interview? I do. I don't remember if it was Medill specifically. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. That's. I mean, perhaps we'll fact check it. But if he went to, I'm get for like undergrad. You think? Uh no, because that's for an journalism interesting school. Because he, I don't know. I don't. I mean, he I went don't, to, and he went to Nebraska undergrad. I don't know that. Yeah, Terry. Of, yeah, has journalism degrees from University of Nebraska and Northwestern's uh, Medill School of Journalism. Wow, I'd love to know like what he did, if he did work in journalism, and then how he made that jump to. Oh, maybe you should listen to his episode of Joiners, Ari. <laughs> <laughs> and Danny, maybe so you want to revisit that episode as well. Jeez, I'm I listen to it every trance. morning. <laughs> when this thing starts recording, I go into a trance, and <laughs> the, then I'm locked the, in. The blank stare Danny done, gave me was terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's I just like, want to make know. Tim sweat it for a second. <laughs> He's like, I'm getting older. I have two kids. I yeah. only have so much brain function. <laughs> That's right. So you said you worked in the industry. What? In I, what capacity? Uh, front of house. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, obviously. I'm, yeah, I've got that. What do you mean, obviously? You got the face for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, thanks. Um, no, I uh, did not. I'm still not a, a good cook, and I'm a much better eater than I am a, a cook. Does or, Drew cook? Yeah, thank God. <laughs> That's a win. Yeah, that is a, a big win. win. He's actually a very good cook. I'm very lucky. I'm very spoiled. Um, uh, so... Go. I mean, I worked in restaurants in college, um, in grad school. Um, when I moved back, I worked in after. So I worked at Shutterfly when I moved out to San Francisco. When I met Drew, he lived out there, and so I moved out there to be with him. And I was there for the height of the dot com boom, and I worked at yeah. Shutterfly, and it was like a, I call it the halcyon days of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was incredible, and then through the bust, and that was just super deeply depressing. But mm. yeah, how long was that? That was like, <clears throat> I guess, how long were things? Because we, like, the tech boom was insane in it the nineties, and then, but how quickly did that come down? So, it was early two thousand one when I got laid off from Shutterfly, and I started working at a place called Sports Basement, which was this amazing like in a warehouse super scrappy and they focused on like running snowboarding uh outdoorsy stuff it wasn't like basketball baseball football yeah um but they had the like, all sports kind of i mean there was like there were bikes and um uh but it was all things that were like almost uh being um moved out of whatever the production was. So like they would get things at really low cost and then pass along those savings to everybody else. And so, but I went from this like very high paying job, I mean, high, much, much more than what I got uh, to like 
an $11 an hour job uh, at mm. Sports Basement. And it was just a very, because there were no jobs. Like you literally yeah. could not get a job in Insane. anything. And I remember hanging out, and it's still there. It's called The Ramp. It's, at, it's on the bay at the very end of, I guess, Mission Bay or like the, the east of um, Petro Hill. And it's this great little, it's a bar with uh, fantastic, I mean, like elevated bar food, but it's super scrappy. But I mean, you can get like awesome burgers. Um, and they had this phenomenal deck right on the water. And so I was there with a bunch of friends for a happy hour, like on a Thursday or Friday. And I remember going home back through Petrero Hill and the mission, which was like one of, there were like a few ground zeros within the city of like, like tech hubs mm -hmm. and tons of offices and there was like one percent uh um uh what do you call it when uh employment on no uh, <laughs> there was there was no space to get um uh whatever capacity basically um the, there was nowhere to get an office space and then that day i remember driving through and seeing all these for sale, for lease, yeah. for rent signs. And it was just the most depressing, sad thing. And it was just months later. Yeah. Yeah. San Francisco is going through it again. Well, yeah, because nobody's in offices. Right. Yeah. I mean, COVID this time, but also tech's got a ton of layoffs. We do, we do uniforms for uh, a big building in downtown San Francisco. We like like uniforms for the guards, custom suits. Yeah. And um, there's like a big push to get people back in commercial real estate right now. Big time. Same thing in New York. Yeah. Well, Another David Morton crossover. <laughs> we do the, Penn buildings, the, all the guards get custom suits there, and Dave's got a restaurant there. Yes. Penn one, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they also, they want them back in the commercial real estate buildings because <coughs> they're all sitting on these ex very yeah, expensive exactly. buildings that they're losing tons of money on. We should blazer. talk about how Ari is a real trailblazer and started the kind of hospitality world podcast before we did. It's true. Yes. And, uh, and I was a riding, listener. You're riding my coattails. That's right. We were riding those coattails <laughs> you guys all the are way still to the top, top, baby. And yet you're still here and I'm not. <laughs> be our guest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So how did that come to be? Yeah. Whose idea? Uh, so I had been talking for a while about wanting to do a podcast and figuring it out. And, and Maggie and I had, uh, we were out to dinner one night and we were talking. I'm trying to think where we were. Um, I have no idea. Um, that's not true. We were, uh, I'm <laughs> totally picturing it. Uh, Come on, give us some clues. We love uh, to guess. Golden arches. Yeah. There's a play <laughs> place next to it. Not the black <laughs> castle. A, a freckled mascot. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to say, anyway, let's move on from that. Uh, I'm, I, it's not, it wasn't, um, not what's across the street from Uname's, uh, the anime. Animes. Animes, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Brian Jupiter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we might have been in Animes and we were eating. Uh, my memory sucks, by the way. Um, we were eating dinner and we were both talking about how we wanted to do podcasts. And at the same time, we kind of like locked eyes and we were like, should we? No. Yeah, we should. Should we? Because we like we already had like a great rapport and a love yeah. for each other. And yeah. like whether it was in person or over over text, like we would just be like, rapid fire back yeah. and forth um, and a lot of laughing and whatever. So we're like, let's explore this. And uh, we decided to do it. And we finally um, we're trying to figure out what the name was going to be. And we were out to dinner actually with Chip Bouchard, who owns uh, Kinship, okay. um, the PR yeah. firm. And he said, what about overserved? And we're like, 
oh my god so that's how that happened and <laughs> then we cool. started yeah. and his version of the story is that you guys were blacked out <laughs> yeah <laughs> should we start a podcast yeah. he's like yeah call it over sir yeah, he's like you were over served <laughs> <laughs> uh, i wanted Bless to hit you because you, you guys I, I listened to the podcast i loved it um but i wanted to hit you with your questions that you would end each one with oh, that's fun. and uh i forgot to look them up you, ahead of time so you'll have to help me out but you could actually go and listen to the episode that ernest and maggie interviewed me about it was oh. actually talking about the when I was the editor of Eater and like the food scene back then and what it was like and then I got put in the hot seat so I've already answered those questions. All right, fine, but maybe they've changed uh, your answers. Perhaps, perhaps. But you guys do a speed round, don't we you? do? Yeah. yeah. So but that's what I meant. There's like nothing I wanted speedy ours to about be our speed round. No, it's yeah. generally about twenty minutes. Sometimes yeah, it takes questions. a third of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I will. Uh, but I'll, a lot of people say that that's their favorite part of the show. <laughs> It is, because you know why? Because it's like you're giving information other than like your life story. Like you're telling, yeah, I think like it's you're giving, practical stuff. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, a hidden gem, place I like to go, right. oh, a cocktail idea, you know. It's and like you guys didn't give applicable. me the questions ahead of time, so I have no idea what you're going to ask. And Tim flipped and it. I just assume everyone's an avid listener. So, yeah, well, you've anyway. every, every episode's <laughs> memorized. What is the name of this podcast? <laughs> We're still deciding. <laughs> How did you come up with the name, by the way? We went through a few names. Yep. Um, off Menu was one that we wanted, but that was taken. Um, and Danny came up with joiners as a, it's an industry term that mm. I did, was not aware of. And from my understanding, it's like, do you know what a joiner uh-huh. is? So joiners, like if you have like a four top or reservation for four, and then you have a last minute add on, mm. like the like back of house would be like, oh, we have a joiner at table, whatever. Yeah. So it's uh-huh. like, so the idea is that you are joining our table of two oh, yeah I love our that. two top okay yeah our two joiner top. it's and i was like no that name sucks and then i thought about it I'm like actually that's a perfect name it's really good <laughs> yeah i remember when <laughs> so i first good job danny when i first uh was told about your podcast when did you launch uh a year and a half like, ago yeah june 2022 okay 21 or 22 no, 2022 really that's yeah. all yeah, yeah, a year and like a half. It's been around almost. for a while. We haven't missed a week. Much longer. Yeah, a lot of episodes. We've gotten close. Yeah, but I was like, joiners. What's joiner? What does that mean? What does that have to do with food? <laughs> he's I like, I'm not, I know. Or he's like, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we weren't doing <laughs> yeah. it anymore. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin. Complete your bar. Are there things that you're starting or looking forward to getting started? So my Substack, my newsletter that I launched in February of this year, it's called Something Glorious with Ari Bendersky, is... I read the piece about uh, Robert Simonson and the cocktail encyclopedia. Yeah. It's cool. He's, I mean, what a nice guy. Um, So Robert Simonson, for those of you who don't know, is one of our foremost cocktail writers in America. He has written now seven books, I believe. Um, And this is probably like the deepest one. And it's got 300 plus entries of so many people and places and drinks in the cocktail world that he goes way back to the beginning of cocktail culture, but then he goes all the way up to basically publication and different people who have influenced it, new cocktails, new bars. And like, and so it was just really cool talking to him. And he's just like a nice 
chill guy, um, but he writes for the New York Times and Punch and Imbibe. Um, so, but Something Glorious was the name of my blog that I started in 2005 or six, um, where my tagline was, things I love, you should love too. And at the time, like I was the person that all of my friends and adjacent friends would come to and say, hey, I need a place to go for dinner for a date night. I have friends coming to town. Where should we eat? Like, I'm looking for a bottle of wine. What do you recommend? Um, any new music you're listening to? So I decided to then put that into a blog and did that for a while. And it was actually, it was an early blog. So it was starting to pick up steam. But then um, I got asked to be the editor of UR Chicago Magazine which was bought by a couple friends of mine who were the publishers and they wanted to overhaul it, revamp it and asked me to come in and help them do that. And then I unfortunately let something glorious take a backseat yeah, to that. By the wayside. And so as I started thinking in the last year or two about starting a new project, um, originally I wanted to do something about emerging American wine and um, wine regions. So there's like Virginia, Michigan, Texas, Idaho, et cetera. And wine is produced in every state in the nation. Yeah, I think there's um, a piece on Idaho that I saw. That I wrote that for USA Today. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is probably like six, seven years ago. Um, and so I originally thought about doing just American wine. And then I was like, well, what if I want to write about Italian wine? Or what if I want to write about a cool bourbon? Or what, if, you know, I was like, I don't want to pigeonhole myself. So then I started thinking about different names. And my husband said, why not call it something glorious? And I said, why don't I call it something glorious? Because yeah. I still own the URL. Side note, I just found out. So it used to be on Media Temple. And I had all and it was the archives were up and live. And then Media Temple got sold to GoDaddy, which I was a new that was like a big red flag for me and i didn't get the emails that were saying like you have to pay your oh. and whatever and so i still own the url but my, the domain but my entire website is gone i just found this out last week yeah, and I was they don't think they should recover it no uh but there is this website called Internet Archives. So yeah, so you could go back. And, yeah. Okay. That's and cool. I looked through it and I was like, yeah, you know, it's like oh, it was a time lucky. and a place and I'm yeah. okay. Um, so I launched Something Glorious in February of this year with under the same idea of the blog. So I'm writing about wine and spirits and food and restaurants and travel. I'm doing interviews with people and it's growing. I'm actually like uh, I'm close to hitting a milestone. Um I mean, it's not a massive milestone, but I'm very, very proud of it. And it's just hopefully going to keep ticking up. And I really would love for this to be the focus of what I get to do. Um, mm. The nice thing about Substack is that you can either have a paid or free or a blend of the two subscription base. And I have both. Um, I would love I'm, like my subs my paid subscribers are like 10 or 11% of my total subscribers. Uh, so I would really love for that number to come up. But you know, as people like free content, it's harder and harder to do that. But yeah, yeah. it makes you I mean, I assume for paid, you have certain, you know, exclusive pieces, in theory. Oh. <laughs> um, I mean, I, in theory, yes. I mean, and I do and I have had things and I, I want to start doing more. Mm -hmm. um, uh, whether it's like creating a playlist for just that audience or giving wine recommendations for just that audience. Um, and as those numbers grow, it's like, you know, it is nice to give them something that's just for them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also look at it as, um, 
you know, if you are a paid subscriber, I look at it sort of as like you're also supporting the newsletter and, mm-hmm. and that you believe in what I'm doing and like what Maggie's doing and other people who are on sub, sub on Substack. Yeah. Um, I guess for people who are listening to this, who are writers and maybe looking for advice, you have a ton of experience and a, a great voice. What, how, how do you write? What's your process like? And, um, any tips maybe for people looking to be, I guess l- let's, um, limit it to like journalism. Okay. Um, so and process. your education yeah. from Medill. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> give us step some free. One, go to Medill. <laughs> yeah. Step right. Step one, pay a lot of money that you pay back for many, many years. <laughs> um, no, I say I'm, my process, uh, oftentimes involves a lot of procrastination, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is pretty typical for people in my craft. Um, but a lot of times it's, it's really, so whether it's, I have an assignment from a publication either that I've been asked to write or I pitch and then uh, they, and then I write it. Um, And the process for that is then, you know, doing the research, doing the interviews, writing it up, trying to come up with the clever lead, rewriting that three or four times sometimes. Um, But with the newsletter, a lot of times it'll be something because I don't have to go through any process where I have to pitch it to somebody or find the right publication. I just get to write whatever I want to write about. And so it could be like, for one instance, I was at my parents' house and my mom forever. It's like the, like the bane of my parents' existence with together is my mom's. Uh, she has like piles of papers. Like she's mm-hmm. not a hoarder, but she'll like have newspapers and mail and she'll like have things that'll be like on the chair that my dad's then going to sit <laughs> at the dinner table and, or it's like a pile on the counter. So they have, she had, her recipe drawer, um, which you would open it up and it would like explode. Essentially, <laughs> There were like tearings from magazines and scraps of paper that she had recipes written down and she doesn't cook anymore. So it's like, I was like, well, why don't we clean it out? Keep the ones you want. So one day I was there um, about, I don't know, five, six months ago and I opened the drawer and I pulled out this little Lucite recipe box with index cards and a manila or like a file folder with more recipes of like the gems and like family recipes and things like that. And I just started thinking how valuable this is. So I ended up writing a newsletter column about how family recipes are historical references and just Mm -hmm. really writing about that. And like then fast forward a few months, uh, Drew and I were up at Kohler uh, for food and wine um, in October. And uh, Martha Stewart was the keynote, the keynote, the headliner. Um, Not that she gave like any like special like keynote speech, but she just like had her sessions and she had a dinner. Um, So I went to her cooking demo and I was sitting down front and uh, and I asked the question at that point. And so then that evening we were going to her dinner and it was uh, in the design offices, not the design center where like it's open to the public, but it's called, I think the beacon. And it's this really beautiful building with gorgeous art. And like, they had one long table set up, uh, for like 50 or 60 people. And we're during the cocktail hour, Drew and I were talking to somebody and then I get called, we both get called and he's still in the conversation. I was like, I think just, I think you might want to come. I don't know where we're going, but just come with me. And I was really more about like having him like not have to be like stuck whoever we were talking to. <laughs> um, 
So we turn a corner and there was a few, there may maybe five of us and there's Martha Stewart. Wow. And like looking gorgeous <laughs> and elegant. And then her publicist, Susan Magrino was like, okay, who has a question for Martha? And we're all like, uh, way to put us on the spot. And thankfully <laughs> I had thought of a couple things in case something like that happened. You so we ended up a note from your yeah, I did. <laughs> my mom said I should ask. Um, <laughs> so after that little moment, uh, we then come back around the corner, not realizing that they had started having all the other guests file in from the other end of the room to start filling in the table. So we come back to where the cocktail hour is on the other side of this wall, and it's just me and Drew and Martha and her people, and we're standing around the table where her, and there was one appetizer of like this big uh, bowl of blue cheese which I despise. I am not a blue cheese fan. And I'm standing on the other side of the table with her. And she says, Oh, have you had, have you had my dessert or my appetizer with the, the biscuits that I made? And I was like, I'll, to be honest, Martha, I'm not, I don't really like blue cheese. And she goes, this isn't blue cheese. This is Stilton. And then it's like the whole series of the, So I ended up writing, she called me out during the dinner because <laughs> like, oh. there was blue cheese in one of the set in the salad. So I ended up writing a whole thing about, and it, the, the headline is Martha Stewart made me eat blue cheese. Yeah. How was it? Still um, awful? No, actually, so, since it was Stilton, it's a little more mild, yeah. but the biscuit was a sweeter cracker. So it worked. So it balanced. actually worked really well yeah. together. But then I was like, oh, I didn't hate that. So let me see with the, the, the endive salad. And it was, I, I couldn't Gag. eat that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you and Shannon can't do Mm-mm. can't do the blue cheese. I can't, can't do goat cheese time. either. I love goat cheese. Ellie can't. Do, Ellie does not like goat cheese. Yeah, what is it? It's so mild. What's yeah. it not to like? That's, Maybe it's the know. texture. Yeah, could be. How do they feel about blue bananas? cheese? Took me a long time. I like the banana. bananas. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we have to talk about you came up in the Kevin Bame episode right. as a treasure hunter yes. of sorts. We have to make a correction. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I guess I it is a, it's an edit, it's so, so we'll let Ari explain. Okay, so Kevin, uh, this is a ye- year ago or two years ago. Uh, Kevin, uh, they had a their holiday party, and it was at Beyond. And um, the when you walked in, there was a, a stand, and he I know he explained this in the episode uh, where there was a, a picture and a riddle of um, it was basically like a scavenger hunt, and the prize was like this with what we thought was like this ancient gold coin or whatever it was. Um, and Drew, my husband is like, he missed his calling as a private investigator. I truly believe like he is the most incredible sleuth. Like you ask him to find something and he will find it super fast. And you're like, how, like, it's such an obscure thing. How did, like, how'd you find that information? So he found, he, again, Kevin, as he said in the podcast, uh, there were all these people that were like, I'm down in this part of the city. He's like, you're so far away from where the, where the treasure's buried. And Drew figured it out and he texted Kevin and lo and behold, he won. Um, so to anybody who listened to the Kevin Bame episode of Joiners, I did not find the coin. I <laughs> He's a sort of, I He's sort of, yeah. I sort of helped my, but you husband. were along for the yeah, ride. I was definitely along for the, the ride. Um, but, but Drew really is the one. Who do you remember the, the details of it or do we have to bring Drew on? Of where I mean, like it was the actually, riddle and stuff, and where I, it was I, hidden and, I, and all that, and how many steps? How many different destinations did you have to go to? Like, it was like it's an ongoing thing. Many right? lines, and it was really. I mean, to to um, give Kevin props, like it was really well. Uh, put together and really clever. And there were some things that were pretty obvious. And then there were other things that were incredibly obscure. 
And it really took you throughout many parts of the city of like historical points and cultural references. And, and I don't remember where the final resting place was. What? Yeah. And wait, what? So you said it was allegedly an ancient gold. So coin. we were what thinking that it? we were thinking that it was going to be Chocolate this coin, coin that was worth like tens of thousands yeah, of dollars. Gal. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> that was like found like, you know, gold. Was it bullion? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, uh, doubloon. Doubloon. Yeah. Isn't bullion? Yeah, is like, gold bullion is yeah. the thing. Oh. Too, yeah. um, Chicken bullion? No. Well, that's what I was yeah, thinking yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Different, um, but yeah. But so, yeah. So we, I mean, it wasn't invaluable by any means, but it wasn't like tens of thousands of dollars. You're not yeah. retiring on this coin. No. That's what you're saying. Mm-mm. Okay. No. Well, <laughs> combine, if I combine that and the money I got paid when I first started doing Eater, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you seem to be, you are obviously uh, an expert in a handful of things like food, allegedly. spirits, you know, it's allegedly. <laughs> um, you, yeah, you're telling me that you are. Um, is there one particular area that you enjoy writing about more than the others or an, or an area that you feel like you have uh, more knowledge than the others? Um, lately, I feel like I've moved more into the wine space. Um, and I really do enjoy writing about wine and talking about wine with people. And it's one of those things where I feel like by no means am I a novice, but I'm not an expert. And I know probably a lot more than your average person. Um, but I love learning about it. I love talking about it with people. Um, uh, I love helping people find something that is is new to them based on what they like and you know especially like when somebody's like stuck in like i only drink this and i'm like well why don't you try this because you might like that too um but you know overall i think what i'm the most passionate about is really just engaging with people and meeting with people whether it's like i'm i'm going to a bar and i'm talking to somebody about cocktails they've just made or like meeting a winemaker um or like hanging out with a chef and like just chatting about what they're working on it's it's that inner in-person interaction that i really really love and then either if it's recorded or i just take notes or i just like i'm spending time with somebody and then turning around and getting inspired to tell a piece of their story that is what i really love so you know wine is is a big focus of mine but you know i just i found out it's it's funny i was with erling um at his new space uh a week and a half ago and we were touring through and uh, he said something about his wife being in Paris. And I said, oh, well, what she, you know, and Kimberly basically runs Hog Salt yeah. with Brendan Sotokoff. And he said, oh, they're opening a new place and it should be opening like any day now. And I was like, really, what is it? He's like, it's, you know, it's a Hog Salt restaurant. And, and it, it's, uh, so then kind of forgot about it. Fast forward to last Thursday night and I saw them post uh, a picture of, uh, the Renault Remo, Renault Renome. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jean's been posting about it. It looks great. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I texted Kimberly and I said, Oh, Erling told me you were there. I'd love to talk to you guys, do this for cranes. And, uh, she said, well, we're actually really busy. I said, is there anyone in Chicago who I can talk to who's on the ground here? That's not there it's six hours ahead or whatever, as you're about to like prepare for your night two of the restaurant. And, 15, 20 minutes later, I get a phone call and I look at my phone. It says Brendan Sotokoff. And I was like, here we go. And we were on the phone for like, I don't know, a half hour. He like, he like hung up at one point to like take videos of the space for me. He walked through and like shot videos. He's like, he's like, I'll let the 
the images tell the story versus me right. trying to explain it because it'll do a better job. And I just, I get very charged internally. Like that is what I geek out on uh, where I get to talk to people about what they're doing and then turn around and, and tell yeah. the world. Well, Ari, if you'd listened to Gene Tomorrow's episode of Joiners, you'd have known about that Parisian concept months ago. <laughs> I hate to tell you. <laughs> Damn it. Apparently, this is where the scoops come. Oh, my God. All the scoops. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. All right, Ari. All right, Tim. (laughs) On to the gratuity round. (laughs) What do you got for me? We're going to start with, what's your death row meal? Uh, you know, that's funny. We actually, that's one of the things that we would ask on I know. Overserved. <laughs> I, I realized that when I went back to listen to your episodes, I'm like, oh, geez, I guess I got that from them. I, I kind of have a cheat answer and okay. it's really kind of a buffet because uh, okay. one, I'm incredibly decisive. Old country buffet? Old, no. Um, <laughs> n- new elevated. Mm. Um, <laughs> Because I'm one, I'm, I'm incredibly indecisive. You know, one of my closest friends uh, laughs at me all the time when we go out to dinner because he watches me agonize over what dish I'm going to order. Yeah, Ellie's the same way. I mean, because I want more than one thing. And then I always have orders regret. And then I'm really happy when the food comes. But like in that period. Um, so my, my death row, and I actually would rather call it my uh, Lonely Island or whatever. Desert Island. Desert Island, yeah. Because um, I don't want to die. I want to keep no, coming. Sure. I want to come yeah. back and eat more food. Um, but, I, I mean, in no particular order, I mean, I would definitely want to have oysters. Um, I East would, Coast or West Coast? A little mix. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think there's a place for both. I'm a fan of both the uh, smaller, briny East Coast and the plump, juicy, uh, you know, fruity West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love a good mignonette. And also, here's a tip to restaurateurs out there. When you serve oysters and you put a mignonette on the plate and you only serve the oyster fork, you are doing your diners a major disservice. Put a little spoon with the mignonette because you can't pick up any of the juice. Yeah, that's a great tip. Would you settle for a spork? Sure. Now that's interesting. Yeah. We're going to manufacture the joiners branded stainless stainless steel sporks. I like it. Yeah. Um, okay, so definitely we'll have some sort of crab, whether it's uh, king crab legs or like mm. really good quality crab sushi, um, which you can't find anywhere right now. It's like if you want to get, I love a California roll, but a California roll with real crab. Real crab. Yeah. Um, and you can't get it right now because it's like astronomically expensive. We had hmm. dinner, uh, Drew and I, with Maggie and Dean at Half Shell a couple weeks ago. And I saw that post. Yeah. It was so good. Half shell is um, great. But yeah. it was so it was surprisingly expensive. It was yeah. 200 bucks a couple. Oh, my God. And, and we shared everything. Yeah. Um, Danny didn't know that crab started with a C when I met him. <laughs> Crazy crab <laughs> <laughs> with the K's. That's <laughs> all I knew. Yeah. All I ever knew. Poor, poor L.A. Sorry. kid. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, uh, what else would I have in there? Um, 
you know, I love a good club sandwich. Mm. Um, mm. Who is, who's got the best club in the city? I know oh, PQM has a really good one. I don't know if I've ever had theirs. Um, yeah. I haven't. I've kind of moved away from it a little bit. Like any good diner worth mm-hmm. its salt will have a really good club sandwich. And I, um, I, you know, and I know it's not a true club if you don't get the, the middle slice. But you're taking it out? Don't tell me you're taking it out. I thought you were going to say it's I, not a true club if it doesn't have the frilly toothpick. I mean, that too. Um, but yeah, I love a good, like, diner or um, a Jewish deli. Like uh, Max and, Max's or Max and Benny's in Highland Park has a yeah. really good club. Um, what else would be on there? Uh, I'm, I'm totally spacing. Um, I would definitely have some good wine, obviously. Like I, you know, I'm not that picky, like as far as like what yeah, the arrival right. is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, I'd maybe want to start with a Manhattan or a Oaxacan old fashioned. Cause those mm. are my two go-tos. Nice. Um, answering another question at the same time. Oh, we can come back to that. He'll probably hit deeper. all of them in this yeah. answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God, what else? Um, I had a question about the wine stuff for a second. Which domestic regions do you think are not being given enough attention? Michigan. Well, let me settle in here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or rather, rather if someone is coming up to you and like, I drink, you know, Napa cab. Sure. Exactly. Like (laughs) kind of whatever classic traditional domestic wine. And you're like, Okay, yeah. this is something that I'm going to turn you on to that yep. is totally unlike anything you've had that's very worthy of your consideration. So one of the things that I think that people poo-poo in this country is if they only if they think about American wine, they're generally thinking Napa and Sonoma. Um, these days, maybe Santa Barbara, Paso, Oregon. Yeah, Washington, Oregon, yeah. kind of Finger Lakes. But if you're... I mean, the average person is definitely not drinking Lincoln Lakes wine. But that's my point being is that like a lot of these northern uh, regions like the Finger Lakes, like Michigan, they're cool climate growing uh, regions. And they are doing incredible like Pinot Gris, Cab Franc, Rieslings, some sparkling wines, some Chardonnay. Um, You could actually even get some... uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot and Syrah in Michigan, like Wincroft is doing beautiful, like Bordeaux blends and things like that. Modalis Winery in Michigan, like he's experimenting with wines, uh, with grapes from just like all over the place. And he is like doing incredible stuff over there. Like truly, like he is probably like, in my opinion, I think Modalis is probably the best Michigan winery. Um, But even like up in the North in Traverse City, there's great stuff, but Virginia, their wines, like uh, Petit Monsang, which is a, uh, it's kind of like if you like um, like a traditional Chardonnay or if you like an Albarino from Spain, um, Petit Monsang has this like really, uh, it's a little bit fuller bodied, but it has like good crisp minerality to it. And it's this like great white wine that was kind of like unknown out of yeah. France. It's kind of like the Gros Monsang, like from Jurançon, whatever, like the Jura. Is that, I, I, I don't, don't know, know where I it feel like from. I'm trying to like remember those connections. Um, it's been a minute. But yeah, I think Virginia wine is like, they're doing some incredible stuff there. Like Tanat, which is a, also a French grape, uh, which actually Tanat means tannic, if I'm not mistaken. And Uruguay also does great Tanat, but you would think it would be hot, but it's because of the the salt in the air from the Atlantic. It actually softens every wine down Mm. there. And they're doing a similar thing in Virginia. Um, I think Texas, uh, if you're looking for 
um, like Italian varietals and Spanish varietals. They're doing like great Tempranillo in, in Texas. Um, uh, That's great. Know, yeah. So yeah, there's, there's like a Cliff's Notes of yeah. domestic wine region. Even in unsung. like in Temecula in Southern California, like I went there earlier this year expecting it to be like, you know, still like a very rustic kind of scrappy place. And it's like this very well built up wine industry. There's like about 50 wineries there, all fairly close. So it's easy to kind of go wine hopping. And uh, they also like talk like the uh, Rhone varietals, um, uh, Italian varietals, Spanish varietals. Um, so like they're doing and it's and just like a bunch of reds and whites and some rosés, some sparklings and whatnot. But like that's also, but there's like good restaurants and there's like the wine region in Temecula and then the downtown, which is like this old, it's like still looks like the, the late 1800s. So it's like this hmm. wild west vibe. Tim would like that. Temecula. How far from, this is it Southern California, close it, to Mexico? It, uh, no, it's actually, so if you're in Palm Springs and you yeah. know the, the mountains to the west of Palm Springs. Yes. It's just on the other side. So it's about oh. an hour or so from Palm Springs or Palm Desert. Interesting. And yeah. about an hour and a half or so from San Diego. Higher elevation than Palm Springs, though. Uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. I would think maybe. Cool, cooler weather. It's No, I mean, because they're on that. Well, they get the ocean air. Yeah. So it's it definitely it gets hot. I yeah, mean, it definitely toward, gets hot there yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's but, toward the yeah. coast. Okay. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Temecula. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Let's and it. also, um, I'm going to give a shout out to the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia, where I also was this summer. Uh, Drew and I went up there. Our friends moved from Vancouver to this like incredible, beautiful property on the top of a, a hill um, at the very north end of the Okanagan. And we... Uh, spent the first four days touring the, just the two of us, the region. And I mean, when I tell you the wines from that area, I had a, what did I just open recently? That just kind of blew my mind. It was a Blaufrankisch. Um, I actually did a reel about it uh, recently and I'd been saving it. I, I snuck wine back into the country. Uh, <laughs> oh, shoot. We have a lot of border agents who yeah. listen to this. Um, but I mean, they're like, they're the one, cause you think about like, they're just North and West of Oregon and Washington. And it's, it's actually desert. It's like the very Southern end of the Okanagan Valley mm. is the North end of the Sonoran desert, which when they told Whoa. me that blew my mind, the Sonoran desert literally starts in like Mexico, Arizona and goes all the way up. Yeah. I had no idea. I had never thought of that. Um, But yeah, the Okan, it's beautiful. Like if you like, you could like biking, hiking, like incredible food. There's like tons of water. There's big, beautiful lakes. There's like tons of water activities. So it's a great vacation destination too. Nice. Cool. All right. So we're going, we got two destinations now. We got many destinations. So you you asked me like, what am I passionate about more these days? That's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. We got the answer. All right. uh, For our second question of the gratuity (laughs) round. (laughs) So that was, that was question 1.1.2. Yeah. And we've got 30 questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Favorite hidden gem restaurant. That's so hard. Um, Does it have to be a hidden gem? Because I feel like. By definition. (laughs) Yeah. No, is, yeah. I mean, I, I think something maybe is, off the beaten path, maybe a, like a hole in the wall. Yeah. That um, maybe well, I a, just I mentioned Half Shell, um, where yeah, we were. Yeah, that's a good which, I mean, it's been around. It hasn't come up before. Uh, 1968, and it's one of those places that I feel like if you know it, you know it, and if you don't, you you're like, what are you talking about? And it is on diversity, uh, just kind of subterranean. 
it is subterranean. Yeah. You took the word right out of my mouth. Um, it's uh, subterranean. It's under. It's below grade for those of you who don't know that <laughs> word. Um, uh, across the street from the Trader Joe's on Diversity, yeah. just west of like Clark Diversity Broadway, and it's been there for fifty-five years. And um, it is literally a, a hole-in-the-wall bar that has like this incredible seafood. And when Drew and I first started going there, probably like 12 or 15 years ago, they used to have all you can eat crab, crab legs for like 30 bucks. And we (laughs) were like, how do you make any money? You know, but now we, the four of us split uh, a Dungeness crab and King crab. And it was like $110 for the two of those dishes. I was like, no, it's all you can eat anymore. (laughs) Um, So that's one. Another favorite is uh, Tweet in Uptown. Uh, Tweet. Do you ever heard of the bar Big Chicks? No. So we were talking before we started recording about Argyle. Um, It's Mm -hmm. at the east end of Argyle and just north. It's on Sheridan, about three storefronts. Um, uh, Michelle Fire is the owner. She opened up a bar called Big Chicks. It's a queer bar. Um, I mean, it's open to everybody, but it's predominantly a queer bar. Mm. And um, she also has like one of the country's foremost collections of outsider art. In, oh, cool. like her own collection and a lot of those pieces are on the walls so in the afternoon and evenings uh, is big chicks uh, and there is like a little space that kind of crosses over between the two and then tweet is on the south end of this building and it's been around for i don't know 30 something years oh. um i don't know if tweet is like big chicks for sure um but tweet is uh this gem it, i guess it would call it a hidden gem but if you go there on a sunday at 11 o'clock it's hardly hidden because the, the wait could be like an hour yeah um cash only no reservations but like very um like a lot of organic food um they uh and it's very eclectic menu they have like incredible chilaquiles and huevos rancheros and um but there's like omelets and burritos but then you also have like turkey burgers and abel skeevers which is this like danish dish yeah. um but like it's it's great so it's a really cool spot abel skeevers danny yeah yeah i've like heard puffs. of that one they're like it's little like a, like a sweet little pancake yeah that's in a circle circular yeah. shape yeah yeah good one Good two, good three. Those have not come up. Uh, all right. Favorite fast food? I don't really eat fast food. You're kidding. I'm not. I, Too healthy. Uh, yeah. You know, um, I, I... How about as a kid? I mean, probably McDonald's. Um, although I'm not, uh, you know... Uh, oh, okay. You know, if I am, that's not, I, I'm lying right now because I do occasionally. I love Culver's. And all right. I do... Yeah. Oh, Hi. <laughs> They have they have Culver stuffies, um, <laughs> a brand new gift for Tim my, for the uh, holidays. Christmas, yeah, holiday gift from Danny. Tim um, is the Culver's evangelist. It is. I know their, quality. I like. I mean, I do like the butter burger, but I have to say that their fried whitefish yep. sandwich it's legit. is very good. Probably one of the best fish sandwiches I've ever had. And I was like growing up, I was a fillet of fish kid for sure. Yep. And like you eat that now and compare it to that. And you're like, get this out of my face. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I literally cannot eat McDonald's because 15 minutes after I eat my entire body hurts inside <laughs> from like all the fat and sugar. Like if, <laughs> I've, 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 I've experienced that. <laughs> the and shame, the shame. Yeah. I've experienced that a few times, but yeah, Culver's. whole body hurts. Yeah. When, whenever we go up to Wisconsin, we... <laughs> I just lost them as a sponsor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Culver's fish sandwich is great. 
You okay, Danny? Yeah, I think I'm going to live. Danny's only had this cough for, th- yeah, for three years. months. It's been years. Mm. It's yeah. crazy. Um, all right. Now, this is an ad hoc question. Not one of our standard ones, but I feel like you're qualified to answer. What do you think the next dining trend is? So I've noticed recently, and I'm going to pull up my the little list on my phone that I oh, wrote. He came prepared. I did. Um, I mean, I was nervous you guys were going to bombard me with things. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I have a terrible memory. And so it's like when people are like, what was your favorite thing you ate this year? I'm like, did I eat anything? Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I feel <laughs> yeah. like I have a pretty Yeah, when I'm put on the spot. People are like, yeah. where should I go? I'm like, let's see. I go to... Uh, yeah, uh, I live above the loyalists. Uh, yeah. 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 Loyalist. I, I mean, once I get going, but like it literally people will ask me like for the music or a restaurant or something and like the steel yeah. trap door yeah. will shut close and I'm like, I have nothing for Same, you. Same, yeah. I have to go to the pictures or something. I do. I have to yeah. like look through my calendar or like go on Google. Um, so I noticed lately that there are these like uh, very focused singular concepts that are coming. Um, so the first one is Haven, which is from, uh, um, and I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know her name, but she was the executive pastry chef at SKY and all of Stephen Galander's restaurants. Um, that is a dessert only restaurant mm. that is coming. Ooh. And I want to say that that is going to be in the MK space or somewhere over there. Okay. Um, that seems too big. I could be. I think it's in that area. I could be wrong though. Um, another one that is coming is I think from the the guys who have Machine or had Machine. Is it still around? Um, mm, on Division. Oh yeah, I, re- I read about. Oh that. right, it's the, called Dearly yeah. Beloved, and yeah, that's going Kiki's that. Bistro, and that is going to be a cocktail restaurant. Yep. Saw um, that. And then uh, Tatum Sinclair from SKY. There you go. Yep. Thank, <laughs> thank, thank you, Google. I got you. Thanks. <laughs> See, you are my pastry. Call me Google. You're, yeah. You are my pastry chef <laughs> savant today. Um, another is uh, Banyan that just opened, and it is a beef omakase restaurant. It's the folks that have omakase yume, mm. and it just opened. I actually saw Noah Sandoval post about it like two weeks ago. And oh, I was yeah, like, I saw I'm that. Like, so they're only serving beef? Like It's like every course is a different kind uh, which is almost like I feel like Giuseppe Tentori at GT Prime was like ahead of his time where he has that one dish where you don't have to choose and there's like four cuts of beef mm. on the plate, which is, I think, genius. Um, so there's that. And then uh, the Perilla guys, I just read this yesterday, I think. They are opening up a – it's it's called Perilla Korean American Steakhouse. So it's like – I mean, so those two are like very – I don't know, maybe it's like there's two trends. Maybe it's like these singularly focused concepts that are like kind of bucking the idea of uh, like you have to have a restaurant to have dessert or you have to have a bar to have cocktails or like, I mean, I guess a cocktail restaurant is a bar with food. I mean, Scott yeah. Law yeah, exactly. <laughs> could be a cocktail yeah, restaurant. Yeah, exactly. um, the Perilla guys, we've been waiting to have them on the pod for this opening. Yeah. So we've been like, we designed the uniforms for the space over a year ago. Oh, really? So we've been, the steakhouse? Yeah. And uh, we've been like waiting. I want to time it for yeah. when they're about to open to talk about it. So maybe a new trend is like obviously the last couple of years is like we've had the omakase explosion. Like it like it was happening and then it kind of like really blew up. And yeah. I'm so grateful that we do have really good omakase in Chicago. Um, and then maybe this is like you know, obviously Chicago is known for steakhouses. So maybe now there's this like Holu opened up two years ago, year and a half ago. Uh, down in the 88 marketplace, right? Down in that area. Um, And now, you know, between like 
Banyan and Perilla American Steakhouse, maybe we're going to see a new wave of um, Asian-inspired steakhouses in Chicago. I would love that. Yeah. More flavor. Probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Is that is that a wrap on trends? I mean, maybe. <laughs> um, I mean, we it's talked about good. Michigan wine. I think suburban dining also is. Yeah, I mean, it's the next frontier for. I mean, it really groups. like it was that starting. List that just came out kind of blew my mind. The I went witch. To the Chicago Tribune just kind of reached out to a handful of culinary industry people about their favorite suburban, you know, restaurants and stuff. Were you one of them? What do you mean? I don't. Did live they ask? You? It was like people that no. It was like people, oh, people that, that live, live out. It the was burbs, like people I that see. live out in the burbs and also giving recommendations for places out in the burbs. Oh and yeah. Do you remember any like were there? Things um, yeah. That so you, you had mentioned Greenwood. Greenwood. Yeah. Yeah. Greenwood. EJ's came up a bunch. That's of been times. around forever. Uh, but it was like places that I have never been to, and I was like, right. oh, this would be great. Well, there were some don't people go north or, I, or yeah. west. We need to. But I mean, but there are like like I mean. So Ryan O'Donnell, who owns um, why I'm totally spaced. Thank yeah. you. Ugh, you guys are amazing. Like, <laughs> you just like be my brain. Encyclopedic. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, he opened up. You know, Sophia Steak. There's two yeah. now in the suburbs, yeah. and they also have um, Pomeroy, which is like Pomeroy is one of the best restaurants in the North Shore, um, if not the Chicago area. It's it's just fucking delicious. It's a French seafood focused restaurant. But then you have Abigail's in Highland Park, and you've got. Um, uh, what else? Napolita. Like, what's really fun? And I didn't know. So we went to dinner in Wilmette this summer with friends. We met them. They're our friends from Highland Park. And, like, beautiful summer night. It was actually, it was it was the Thursday night of Barbie opening weekend because there were all of these, like, North Shore moms and their teenage girls and their little girls all dressed in pink waiting yeah. to go to the Wilmette Theater for <laughs> the opening of Barbie. And I was like, we're in the North Shore. <laughs> um, but it was, there was so much vibrant activity on this one corner there's pescadero napolita sofia steaks down the street there's a um uh a ramen sushi place uh oh god i just ate there a few weeks ago and i'm totally spacing on the name uh but there's like all these spots and there was like um uh, a chamber orchestra or something like in the middle of the square and it was like vibrant and active and i was like why doesn't every place have this? It's like there were so many people out and like all these sidewalk tables and it was great. So there's a, a vibrant dining scene in Wilmette too. Summertime in Chicago. Yeah. All right. What is your least favorite food? I mean, we already established I'm not a is fan it of blue, blue cheese. cheese? That's yeah. at the bottom of the list. Very far bottom. Um, and then there are things I also just don't eat. Like I don't eat McDonald's. Uh, McDonald's fast food, <laughs> but like I don't eat veal, um, generally speaking, and I yeah, try I really either, and I try not to eat foie gras anymore. Yeah, and now it's like my husband's really kind of pushed me toward not eating octopus, um, and that actually is a big movement. There's a lot of people yeah. who don't eat octopus anymore they're so because intelligent. they're so intelligent. Yeah, but they're also assholes like they sucker punch <laughs> fish <laughs> like that's yeah. why tim eats them all the time my yeah. sister watched my is it what's it called my octopus teacher or yeah, something like that watched she it. watched the documentary and i'm like so now do you feel bad about eating oct- octopi and she's like no because their lifespan is so short hmm. huh so they're gonna die anyway they may so as well. are we i mean <laughs> yeah. everything gonna die but no i think they only live for like two years or something like really? that Danny, look it up. You got nah, the fast nah, fingers. Nah, nah, nah. 
a lot of the Siri. feedback we get on the pod is all the times that we take to look things up. Yeah. Really mess Is that true? Flow. Who gives you guff about that? Persona I'd like grata. To, I'd like to address it. Pers- Ripping chicken. Rob Lapata? You don't like uh you don't like getting the facts straight? It's just the like typing and then it's like gotta look it up. So we're See, gonna change the entire podcast. Yeah, well now I'm making a point of stalling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tim's punishing the listenership. So we're gonna change the form of the entire podcast because persona non grata Rob Lapata wants to t- <laughs> doesn't want to listen to us type. That's funny. Well, for Pete's um, sake. All right. So yeah, so those those are the things. Okay, that that's on your not hit list. Yeah, but I mean I pretty much eat and I I've been moving more toward um eating less meat in general, especially red meat. Yeah. Um but I mean I still will have yeah, like when a you burger. eat it make it count. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like I I've been eating a lot more um seafood and plant-based. My husband's pescatarian, so and he's the one who cooks, so I kind of have to <laughs> yeah, find the ride. <laughs> <laughs> um but the uh but I mean I do like I mean, I will have chicken and yeah. and turkey and things like that. All right. Favorite cocktail. I've heard about this cocktail. It's complex. Oh, the one from, well, that's. Oh, is that not your favorite? I assume no, it was. It's just, so, okay. So I'm, I want to be a Negroni fan, but I really don't like Campari. And I think we're in a similar boat. Yeah. It's too bitter. But for me. you know what? The strange thing is I love a Boulevardier. I just don't like a Negroni. Is it because is the, the bourbon? Combo? Like, I of, guess the the yeah the combination of the things with the, the a, irony with the whiskey of a person is who much opened better. Up a gin bar. Hey, you know, there's millions of other gin cocktails, yeah. and Negroni is just not my favorite one. Um, I find that the Campari, like when I take the when I take a sip of a Negroni, I really like it when it first enters my mouth, and then as it rolls back, and that bitterness just settles in the back palate, and it just kind of lingers there. And that's why I also don't like really bitter Amari either. Um, but like, I mean, I could do an Aperol spritz, but when I was in Milan, uh, September, um, I was, I was in Europe, I was in Italy for a Barbera wine trip. And, uh, I went out a couple of days ahead of time to spend a couple of days on my own in Milan and ended up going to, um, the Principe hotel, which is like one of their classic, beautiful old hotels in Milan. And they have the bar Principe or Principe bar. Um, and there's a new younger guy who is managing the bar program there called, his name is Daniele Celli. And uh, when I sat at the bar and he was asking, what do I like to drink? And he was talking about how he was introducing all of these new cocktails. And I told him about how I'm not a big fan of a Negroni. And he said, well, I have this one called Unusually Bitter. So it is a Negroni riff. And is that what was sent that Tim sent me? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a very complicated cocktail, it or at is. least many components. So and he, the caramel in there is confusing to me. I didn't understand that either when he was explaining it to me. But when I, and he, like, it's this beautiful drink served in a rocks glass with one big cube. And it, everything, it has, like, there's, like, um, like olive brine and balsamic vinegar. I think he combines the the, the brine, the vinegar, and the caramel into it has like to be because if not, syrup. the oil will just yeah. separate and they're like little amounts of each and then there's like they have their own gin that they've commissioned i don't know who makes it for them um but then there's ramazzotti and chinar and all of these flavors in there that just meld so beautifully together that it um there was a, a little bit of bitterness but it was like just the right amount that hmm. it was such a delightful cocktail. Yeah. There was a little bit of like savory and sweet and just, it was gorgeous. I mean, I feel like that's the recipe we should publish with yeah, the episode for because sure. it's such a 
a wacky recipe. And yeah. you should put it on the menu at Scofflaw. Yeah, yeah, just a ten touch cocktail. When yeah, I yeah. asked him for the when I asked him for the um, for the recipe, and actually Tim and I had talked about it, and he said, "Oh, maybe we'll recreate it." And this is when you were still recording at Scofflaw. <laughs> um, and I got excited about it, and I asked him, I asked Daniele if we could, and he said that would be great, and he knows Scofla. He actually, he worked at, one of the world's 50 best bars is in Milan, um, and they actually just were on the list again this year, and I'm I'm spacing on the name, again, memory. That's hard. Um, yeah. But he came from there to now head the program at this place, and oh, cool. he's, his goal is to really kind of bring it back to... Yeah, I'm happy to make one for you if we're ever in a scenario where I, I have all I mean, I would love it, and maybe I can ask him the components of like how it goes together. Yeah, that would I would really like to learn how, yeah, the balsamic, the olive oil, and the caramel are combined. Yeah, I'll send him a note. I'll ask him. It's like got to um, be some kind of emulsion or something. Yeah, um, but as far as like my favorite cocktails, it really kind of depends on... Situation, yeah. weather, yeah, etc. Totally. I love a mezcal uh, margarita. Yeah, okay, nice. Um, uh, and I, I love. I've loved a margarita, a traditional margarita, for years. And then when I started drinking mezcal, and I had a mezcal margarita, and I was like, oh. There's your personality. No, like, you're you're adding mezcal to tequila in that, right? You're not going straight up mezcal. No, straight you're up going mezcal. Straight, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Usually, most builds are blends, right? Agree. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, but nowadays, I think I think you I can actually get do straightforward. Yeah, straight up mezcal ones. Yeah. I have a a summer cocktail that I created um, that when uh, it depends, like when strawberries are in season, um, or when if I can get like a really good watermelon, I will either like make watermelon juice, I'll blend it down and I'll uh, um, sift out the, the pulp. pulp yeah. um, or with the strawberries, I muddle them with uh, lime juice and I make this cocktail that is a blend of mezcal tequila. Um, I salt the rim, I put it in a, a, a coupe um, and it's uh, tequila, mezcal, a little bit of um, uh, Ferran's. Like the Pierre Ferran Curacao? Yeah. Um, a little bit of that, some agave, a pinch of salt. Um, the salt is key. Yeah, for absolutely. And then I'll do either the strawberry juice, the watermelon juice, and I put it up in the coop, and it's just this beautiful summer, delicious cocktail. And you pinch Sounds in salt, delicious. or are you going saline? Not that I do fancy. a one to f- one to fifteen saline typically. Mm. What about you, Danny? We do like one to ten, but is that right? Yeah. Hmm. Never, I literally do a pinch, which I actually recently was told that I might have to have a lower sodium diet. And a, do you know Uh-oh. a pinch of salt has 600 milligrams of sodium? Wow. Who's pinch? Shaq? <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, but then like a Oaxacan Old Fashioned is another favorite and yeah. a, uh, a Manhattan. And forever it was a bourbon Manhattan. And lately it's been rye. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I like rye, rye, rye too. Michter's. Oh, so good. So good. All right, Ari. What's something... That's always in your fridge at home. Um, lately, probably kombucha. Homemade? Uh, you know, I tried it uh, a couple years. Like during the pandemic, I tried doing my own kombucha, and I got really experimental with it. And um, one of my friends who lives in the Bay Area sent me a SCOBY. Uh, which yeah. is the mother. Yeah. Um, and it was really weird when it showed up in this envelope. It's gross. And it's gross. It looks like a big, something like an elephant's snot. Yeah. Um, but I did the whole process and uh, it just never got the, and I put in like basil in one and I did like blueberry and I did strawberry, like whatever. I did a bunch of different fruits and, and, and uh, vegetables, savory. Um, 
And it never got to the level of um, effervescence that I really liked. Mm. Although there was one that I like, because you're supposed to burp them. And I accidentally, like, I didn't, I went, I opened, I think it might have been blueberries or blackberries or something. And it literally, like, exploded all over my kitchen. Yeah. And, and the pro- like, it's, a, it's like a two-week process to, like, make the batch. Just to have an explosion. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'll spend three bucks a bottle. It's yeah, yeah. That's, it is worth it to buy it if you're into kombucha. I used to yeah. make it too. And, like, the secondary fermentation, it gets so bubbly. Yeah. I had, like, lavender plastered to my ceiling in my kitchen for a while. I think I still have a blueberry up there. (laughs) All right. What is your go-to host gift? A bottle of wine. Yeah. That's That's like custom tailored to the person you're visiting. Often we'll think about the worst um, one in your collection. Yeah, I mean, it depends how much I like you. Um, no, I think it's... Oh, this one's about to go off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is over the hill. Yeah. Um, oh, this is, I can smell this one's cork. This is perfect for you. Yeah. You um, love it. Yeah. I, uh, I tend to think about the person, and like I said earlier, like if I know that they like a certain sort of a style of wine, I will bring them something that is adjacent to... Um, like we actually just went to a friend's house the other day and I brought them, uh, an Oyster Bay, Paso Robles, uh, I think it was a blend. I don't think it was a hundred percent cab. Um, you know, and I, I brought actually another Paso to another friend for a dinner party a couple weekends ago. Um, but I like to bring something that is, uh, you know, like if I know somebody's a Chardonnay drinker, I'll bring them like a really nice Albarino or like a good Chenin Blanc or something. Oyster Bay, isn't that? in uh meet the parents he's like oyster bays so and so finest he, he's like you can get a whole bunch of mums remember that <laughs> i just rewatched that I anyway love, your your knowledge your quotable knowledge is deep er, erling gave me shame for that he yeah. hasn't seen any so movies or grew up with any shows. He, he, yeah no TV. yeah right all right um favorite band or musician i i love that you just asked me that because i just hold on i'll take a sip of water sure <laughs> um i just listened to the Christine Sikowski episode and shout out to my girl. She's, I haven't seen you in way too long and that we're overdue. Um, <laughs> she's the best. She's and I fun love, hang. Uh, she's just cool. She's awesome. Um, but your Spotify wrapped. I had no <laughs> idea you were such a deadhead. Oh yeah. I didn't see you at Wrigley. I, I was definitely there. Wow. Um, did you go, did you catch the end in San Francisco? No, I was actually, we were at our friend's place in the Okanagan and that's when I wrote, if you go, if you, do you subscribe to my newsletter? Of course. Um, go back into the archives. Go to look, read The Music Never Stopped. Okay. I was literally sitting out by the pool that morning of that Sunday, and I, I, I'm about to get choked up. I yeah. started I started to cry, and I was like, I can't believe, is this really it? And like Drew's like, don't dwell on what is not going to happen. Just appreciate Because, <laughs> I mean, I started seeing The Dead the night before my 18th birthday in 1989. Uh, when at, Jerry at was Rosemont alive. Horizon. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, we caught the Friday show in San Francisco. I only went up oh, to uh, Bolinas for a few days, oh, which is so that was cool. my first time going there. That is yeah. such an awesome town. It's it's like talk about Wild West. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, really cool. Um, so yeah, so uh, to answer the question, uh, if you were to look at my rap this year, it would be a bunch of like hip hop artists that I've never heard of because somebody hacked my account. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally just yesterday finally got Spotify to cancel my account and then port my library over to a new one because they keep uh, invading in my uh, release radar and discover weekly. And I was like, I don't want to listen to O'Marion. Yeah. And Danny, Lil leave, Yachty. leave yeah, Ari's Spotify alone. Yeah. Yeah. Enough is enough. Are you Vito? <laughs> <laughs> um, Ripping chicken. 
So, uh, I mean, The Dead is definitely at the top of my list. Yeah. Um, you know, but then again, it's like I also like I love like a good pop diva like Jesse Ware, Dua Lipa, Robin, um, Madonna. Yeah. I saw Robin at Pitchfork a few oh, years ago. It was she's awesome. So good. Yeah. She's so good. I yeah. saw her at the Riv. I've seen her a few times, um, but she's never a, it's bad a good show. show. Good Great live show. one. Yeah. yeah. Good answers. All right. And we have a tweak to this one from uh, Ryan McGovern on Instagram said, wanted us to tweak the uh, favorite movie to favorite food movie or or food scene in a movie. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> Ari's scoffing. Uh, um, well, all right. Answer can, favorite can, movie well, first. Can I, can I just, can I say the, the, I mean, it's not my favorite, but Steel I mean, Doors dropped. Totally. 100%. Uh, the Christmas episode of The Bear. Mm. Oh yeah. yeah! Talk about a crazy the seven food. fishes. Oh that, my god! Is, right? Yeah. Um, it's intense. I really would have to think about that uh, favorite food movie or favorite scene in a movie. Um, Let's go favorite movie first. Favorite movie. So uh, I love um, like James Bond, uh, Marvel, Star Wars series. Who's your favorite Bond? Uh, I really like Daniel Craig. I'm not yeah? gonna lie. I think he's been. I think he really. He's, is he done? He's done. He's done. Yeah. Um, I mean, Roger Moore also, because yeah. that was the James Bond of my youth, mm-hmm. my teenage years. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. But he was really? Great. He's your favorite? I, his movies were awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, Goldeneye. I want to I, I go back. I just said this the other day. I want to go back and watch uh, the Sean Connery movies. Oh, yeah. Um, we go on kicks, like where we'll just watch old ones. This is the time of year. Don't yeah. they do the marathon? Yeah, pretty much. But I, it's, one, I, it's one of those things where I... I have to see a new James Bond movie opening weekend. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Super fan. Yeah, I have to. Like, I just, I, I geek out Have you gotten it. into, I just saw that they have this show with Brian Cox, like 007. I uh, like haven't yet. Is uh, it like a, isn't it like a, um, a reality show? Kind I of? don't know. I just saw it scrolling and I was yeah. like, I wonder what that is. I think we saw that the other day and we're like, got to watch that. No. Um, but I also like, I probably, my favorite, favorite movie. I mean, and I also like, I love like all the John Hughes movies. Um, yeah. And like, I mean, I can quote like Young Frankenstein is one of my favorites, but like Pretty Woman. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of my all time favorites. That is movies. a classic, but potentially problematic movie. Yeah, I think. She's an underdog. Everyone likes an and underdog. And Julia story. Roberts, just a week or so ago, I guess, uh, I think she was being interviewed by Gail King um, for this new show that she has, or the new movie. Um, the. the and what, the end of the. It's an end of yeah, the world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, with uh, Mahershala Ali. Yeah. It's yeah. Great. Like Did you was, watch it? Yeah, it was great. I'd like um, to check it out. It looks intense, though. The ending is like, like a, really? Huh. What? Um, so, but I guess she, uh, Julia Roberts just told Gail King that Edward, um, Richard Gere's mm-hmm. character, has died and that she now runs the company. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so so she update. really came out on top. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. And then our last question. Ari, if you weren't a writer, what would you do? Um, I always have said, uh, an architect just cause I'm fascinated. I mean, like, I don't like, I, I also always say that numbers are not my friend. So, um, and there's a lot of big that. picture architect. Yeah. You could delegate. Yeah. Um, but I just, I, I mean, and I, like, I haven't studied, like, I don't have like architecture books at home and things like that, but I'm fascinated by yeah. architecture and building and design and things like that. But also if I had the ability, um, I think I would love to be like an interior designer. Yeah. Um, I think that like, I'm, I'm, I love spaces. I love 
beautiful things. I love fabrics and textiles and whatnot and uh, color. And, and I think that if I had the eye and ability to put things together, I would love to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm opinionated about like when we go out to eat, like we're always kind of assessing things. And uh, Shannon calls it the vibe check. And she she's like, I could be a consultant. I could just go and be like, turn the music down, yeah. dim the lights, you know, the vibe check. It's so important. It really is. I actually have thought that over the years of being a restaurant consultant in that regard, as yeah. somebody who has, you know, one, eaten in a lot of them, written about a lot of them, um, worked in a number of them. Um, but like coming in and like like having a, a, a discerning eye to say like uh, what works, what doesn't work. And, you know, it's like one of one of uh, Drew's like horrors is when we go to a, a restaurant that's opened, like has recently opened and where like if I know the chef or the owner and they'll come over and they'll ask me my opinion and I'm not going to sugarcoat like, cause, cause, like when they just opened it's like they, yeah, they want need to, to know, know like what's yeah, working yeah. and what's not and like one of uh, my favorite validation stories was we went to the friends and family for uh, the childhood menu at uh, at next, next yeah. and um, there were four of us and at the end like the the dish that had it was the white fish on the plate that had like the painting of the little boy fishing yeah. And it was super, super bland. So I was like, I'm going to go tell Dave. Um, I mean, Baron. Thank you. My God, my brain <laughs> is <you>. like. Um, <laughs> Tim's roommate. Was he? Uh, he lived with us for a summer in oh. college. Um, where'd you go to school? Lake Forest College, right next to Highland Park. You well, should listen. Highwoods in between. Yeah. But, but yeah. my friend has a new show on, on the Lake Forest on WMXM on Monday nights. I was on it with him a few weeks ago. It's called uh, Case of the Mondays. And we, I went to the union and we sat in the studio. Oh, it was nice. It pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it was right before Thanksgiving, so there were very few people around. It yeah, was weird. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I go to the kitchen and I start to tell Dave... And right at that moment, Grant walks in and he was like, oh, Grant, Ari's got some feedback. And I was like, motherfucker. Um, and but like I told him and Grant was like, thank you. He was like, last night it was too salty. Tonight it wasn't enough salt. He's like, I appreciate the feedback. And I was like, yes. It's like <laughs> so Ari I, saves next restaurant. Right. Yeah. So I went back to the table and I said, Grant came in and he was happy. I told him he was like, okay. He's like, I'm yeah. glad I wasn't there for that. You yeah. walked away and you're like, never let, he's like, never, never let that guy in a restaurant again. Yeah, they just <laughs> marked up your reservation <laughs> for the future. Not VIP. All right. Well, that is a wrap on Ari Bendersky. Thanks wow. for joining us today. Thank you guys. Thank I you, feel Ari. like we've been here for like four hours. It's it does four, seem long. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. Been a four hour interview. All is right. anybody still listening? Are you awake? <laughs> yeah. Any signs of life out <laughs> <Yeah>. there? <laughs> well, thank you guys. This has been super fun. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. And that concludes our conversation with Ari Bendersky, food and drink journalist. You can find more of Ari's work at his Substack, Something Glorious. And uh, he provided a URL. So if you guys just type this in, it's uh, http colon <laughs> backslash backslash aribendersky.substack.com backslash. And just put that in the address bar and hit enter. And that it'll That'll load. take you right there. It'll take you right there. You can read all of his writing. Uh, this episode was produced by Matt Haddock, music by Captain Cuts. And of course, our real work is done by the one and only Joe Guzzo III. Thank you for listening this week, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.